Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor. My name is Doug Moister. I am the host of the Monday Morning Pastor today. Uh, Bob is doing something super fun. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but he's not with me. Um, I don't know about you all, but uh, I really enjoy being outside. So much of my the way that I connect with Jesus is in the outside space, whether it's fly fishing or hiking or just going for a walk in the morning. There's something really profound that happens to me um, when I'm outside. Um, earlier this this year, in fact, in January, I was having a conversation with a, a young lady uh, that I met who who was just very passionate about the environment, very passionate about creation care, uh, and very passionate about the importance of people getting involved. And um, she grew up in a, in the church and in and around the church, and that was not part of her experience any longer. And from what I can tell, a lot of it was because of the lack of engagement that the church had in creation care. Um, and it just had me thinking a ton. And um, anyways, I, I had an opportunity to to get a, a book from uh, from IVP called Following Jesus in a Warming World by Kyle Myers Shop, uh, Scop. And I just found it really fascinating. And it, it just became this, this interesting opportunity for me to start to think about how we can engage in creation care, especially as we as we think about the generations coming up, as we think about loving and caring for our neighbors. Um, and so I just felt like this would be a really good conversation to share with pastors. Uh, I know not every pastor may be interested in this particular topic, but I think it's something that every pastor needs to at least begin to think through, um, just in terms of how they see their role in the communities in which they live and how they're called to care for their neighbors. Um, yeah, for their spiritual well-being, their physical well-being, um, even for the just the creation care well-being. Um, so anyways, I hope you all enjoy this podcast. There's an intro coming up or a bio coming up about Kyle. Um, and yeah, we'll see you guys soon. Our guest today is Kyle Meyerskop. Kyle uh, wrote a book called Following Jesus in a Warming World, and I was intrigued to have him on the show because he's one of the one of the folks that I found that really is trying to figure out how does the church engage with climate change and just creation care in general, um, as more and more people that I talk to who are younger than me uh, really seem to care very deeply about that. Um, but yeah, Kyle's amazing. Uh, I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. It just was very natural. Really grateful to have him on the show. And we hope you enjoy this interview with Kyle. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us today on the Monday Morning Pastor. It's good to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. So I feel like there's so many places we could jump into, but I would love to just start with the very simple question of tell us a bit of your story. Yeah. So uh, my story and my journey to working on the stuff I'm working on now is kind of an unlikely journey. Uh, I, I grew up in a beautiful, uh, conservative Christian home that taught me a ton about what it means to love God, to follow Jesus, to love my neighbor. Um, and it, it taught me very little about what my faith had to do with the natural world around me and uh, how my relationship to the natural world relates to my faith. You know, we, we recycled, but I think if the truck didn't come and pick it up at the curb, we might not have even done that. So um, that, that started to change for me, though, when my older brother, who's three years older than me, still love and respect like crazy. He was in college while I was still a junior in high school, and he went on a study abroad program to New Zealand. And the design of this program was to bring Christian college students who went to a Christian college, 
Christian college students to one of the most beautiful places in God's creation, New Zealand, and to study at the intersection of ecology, biology, and theology, biblical mm. studies, um, and to bring the two in, into conversation together. And he came back totally transformed. Um, the, the climax that stands out for me of that period of his return uh, was when he announced to the family soon after he got home that he was now a vegetarian because of the experiences and the learnings that he had done uh, down there. And at the time, like it was as if he had told the family, like, I'm a dog now. <laughs> That's who I am. I'm a <laughs> right? Um, I, I didn't know anybody who had ever made that choice, who would ever make that choice, particularly anyone like me, right? Quote, unquote, like me. Uh, so I had a hard choice to make. I could lump my brother into this caricature of people who became vegetarians um, that I had built up in my mind that was nothing like me, or I could suspend my assumptions and hear him out. And, and he was patient and gracious in, in helping me understand his journey to that point. And uh, what he helped me understand was that his choice to become a vegetarian, to donate to the Sierra Club, to start riding the bus more, None of those choices were him rejecting the values that we had been given in our church and in our Christian community. It was actually him trying to live more deeply into those values. And that was the first time that I had ever been given permission to consider questions like the environment, like pollution, like climate change, uh, because of my faith and not in spite of it. Uh, and, and that was the spark that kind of fanned into flame when I went off to college I had my own experiences, went on my own trips, took professors and read books, all of which just uh, kind of solidified for me this idea that caring for creation, as I often call it, is a, a fundamental component of Christian discipleship. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's just what we're supposed to do as Christians. And um, as somebody who is trying to follow Jesus in the 21st century, um, I don't know how to follow Jesus, a Jesus who says, love your neighbor as if their present circumstances and future prospects were your own and love God, the creator with everything you've got. I don't know how to do those two things without uh, grappling seriously with climate change and what climate change is doing to God's creation and to my neighbor's ability to flourish and thrive. Um, so uh, again, I, uh, I looking back, it all makes sense how God brought me to, to what I'm doing now and the writing this book. Uh, but it certainly would not have been predicted uh, back in those early high school days. Kyle, thanks for sharing the context behind, you know, just your story. And I feel like, you know, we've mentioned some hot topic words like vegetarian, uh, <laughs> yeah. climate change, you know, some of these things that um, in certain circles around the, you know, in the evangelical church, they can be very triggering for people, right? Like there, there yes. are some things that uh, I think you kind of said it where it's like, it'd be like you're, you know, coming home and saying I'm a dog, right? It's like, I've rejected <laughs> everything. And now I've come to this new sort of enlightened way of living and thinking. And so, you know, you, you just yeah. finished a book called Following Jesus in a Warming World, which as soon as I saw the title uh, from our beautiful friends at IVP, I was like, dude, I have to have this guy on because as a, as a pastor, I find myself um, specifically talking with other pastors and other younger people in, in my own church and other churches who this is something that they care deeply about. And um, I, I did go to Portland Seminary, so we did have a few courses on, you know, um, 
ecology and theology, which was such a gift. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, uh, in my MDiv work, I don't think we ever like creation is creation care was never even something that I think I've ever heard those two words put together. So what is the story behind this particular book for you? Yeah. So uh, very similar. Like I, I uh, went to a Christian college up here in Michigan and I studied religion and I was taking all kinds of religion classes and uh, very little engagement in the classroom and in my formal religion training. Right. Uh, and, and in seminary too, I mean, some of the themes were woven into some classes, but um, pretty, pretty low, pretty low engagement. So um, uh, for me, uh, this book came out of my work. So uh, for the last 10 years or so in a couple different capacities, uh, I have been working at the intersection of church and faith formation and and pastoring. I'm a pastor, an ordained pastor in the Christian Reformed Church in North America, and um, creation care and climate activism, right? Mm -hmm. Another another buzzword, maybe. Um, uh, and and for me, I, I spent a lot of those 10 years working for an organization called Young Evangelicals for Climate Action. I've since aged out. Uh, but <laughs> before I aged out of YUCA, I, I was the national organizer and spokesperson, which meant that I got to travel a lot to Christian colleges and universities and have all kinds of conversations with young Christians in particular. Um, and the, the conversations I was having, uh, it just felt like deja vu over and over and over again. I mean, almost to a person, young Christians were telling me, um, I feel so alone mm. in my concern for this. Um, my church taught me next to nothing uh, uh, about what my faith has to say about God's world and what God thinks of the world and, and my responsibility toward it, my relationship to it. Um, how we should think as Christians about big things like climate change and uh, feelings of of isolation from their their faith community because of their uh, interest in creation care, the environment, climate action. Um, I think I, I have a line in my book that goes something like um, a whole generation of young Christians um, are encountering friends, family, church members who think that their spirit-breathed, Jesus-centered concern for the natural world around us is nothing more than political radicalization, mm. right? It's, it's not seen as, as an attempt to uh, live more deeply into our commitment to follow after Jesus. It's, it's seen only through the lens of politics and only as kind of proof positive of, uh, you know, wokeism and, and political radicalization. Um, and, and that's a lot of what I wanted to do with this book was help people understand that we don't have to engage in this conversation and in this work as Democrats or Republicans. We don't have to even do it as environmentalists, right? I don't identify as any of those hmm. things. <laughs> I, I do this work because I'm a Christian and I'm trying to follow Jesus. And this is, this is where my desire to follow Jesus has led me. Um, and, and I think that's a gift that the church has in front of it. Like we, we can engage in this conversation um, in a way that doesn't feel partisan. It doesn't feel toxic. It doesn't feel scary. Um, we can engage in this conversation as earnest 
good faith followers of Jesus who are just trying to get better at following Jesus. Um, and, and I think, you know, you talked about the buzzwords and, and how a lot of those words can trigger people and it can feel scary and big. And I get all of that. And that, and that is real. And, and maybe we can talk a little bit more about like how do pastors navigate that. But um, at its root, I think that Christian engagement with these topics um, can be fundamentally hopeful, can be fundamentally joyful. They can be like what my brother was to me, um, evidence of a community of folks who are just trying to live more deeply into the things that make them who they are already. Um, and I think that's a pretty winsome invitation. Mm -hmm. Like you, this is a, this is an opportunity for your people to get better at following Jesus and, and to live more deeply into the values that already animate your congregation or your community. Um, that's not often an invitation that people hear, but, um, I think it's a lot more motivating than kind of the shame, blame, guilt, fear that is so often peddled around these kinds of conversations. Yeah, I, I really appreciate, first of all, the heart behind the book, but even I'd love to just jump right into, talk to me about the posture of a pastor who can successfully begin to navigate through just the nuance of this whole conversation, right? Because it, it yeah. feels like it is a very nuanced conversation. Um, and and maybe that's part of the postures. It's not a nuanced conversation. I don't know, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it 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 is it is a complicated conversation for lots of reasons, right? There there are so many layers to it, so many layers that your people are bringing to it already too that you don't really have control over as a pastor, right? There's there's political layers, there's economic layers, there's social and cultural layers, um, uh, and I, I guess I just want to name at the outset that. Um, I have a lot of compassion for pastors who are out there day in and day out, um, shepherding communities, trying to figure out <laughs> how do I help my community understand the moral dimensions of something like climate change? Um, be because there are already so many conversations that are shaping your people out there when it comes to this topic. Um, and, and I, I just want to name that like, yeah, it, it is hard. It, it it is really hard um, to be able to have a productive, good faith, honest conversation about climate change in our churches. Um, however, I do think, and I, I say this as a pastor, I do think pastors are called to do hard things sometimes, um, but to to be smart about it, right? So, um, a, a few few pieces of advice I might offer to to pastors who are out there thinking um i i get it and i i understand that this is something that our church should be engaged on and something that my people need to be um taught about and encouraged in but how do i begin to do it uh one is something i talk about a little bit in my book um is this idea of story uh stories are really really powerful tools that we all have in our tool belt and i think pastors especially um you think about how many stories you tell in a sermon right the 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 whole formula of of the sermon illustration um stories reach people at an elemental level that that can bypass some of those barriers and walls that people might put up around difficult conversations um 
and and stories is, are especially powerful when they're stories about uh, people within the community itself, right? So certainly telling stories like I do in the book about people in Kenya and, and New Orleans and Appalachia, that's powerful. But as a pastor, um, I think leveraging story in a way that um, connects the lived experience of environmental harm, pollution, climate impacts even, to the life of the community is really, really powerful. And, and you can think about this in, in terms of testimony, right? Um, whether you know it or not, we are all living with the effects of climate change, with the impacts of climate change, or with the health effects of pollution. Um, is there somebody in your community, in your church, who has a story to tell? about living through um, a storm uh, that was really damaging, about uh, living through a heat wave that was really scary or, or harmed their family in, in some way, or flooding in their home that has forced them to... Um, or the flip side, like a, a story of somebody from your community who is already active on this and, and can tell their story about why they're doing it and, and how it connects to their faith. Um, thinking about story in the context of testimony and and finding ways to lift up stories that already exist in your congregation um, from your own people who are living through impacts already or who have stories of action they're already taking. Because we know the social science says that the closer you are to somebody in relationship, the more uh, accepting you're going to be of their story. And um, we know that evangelicals in particular uh, have one of the lowest kind of social norms of action when it comes to climate change. They, we don't think a lot of people like us are, are doing anything about this. Um, so the more that you can show your people, yes, actually, people like us are doing it. People in our own congregation are doing these things and they're, they're getting life out of it and they're finding joy in it and they want to invite you into it too. Um, I think that's really, really, really powerful. Um, another. I think another thing that pastors are uniquely equipped to do is help their people understand what scripture has to say about this. Uh, scripture is full of God's love and care and concern and affection for her creation of our call to share in that love and concern and, and affection. Um, and, and when you start looking for it, uh, it, you find that it's in a whole lot more places than just Genesis one and two, right? Um, and I, I do some of this in the book in in chapter three in particular, um, but but there are so many more passages that I didn't even have time to to dig into. Um, but but more and more, if you can find ways to explore things like the incarnation, like do it do an Advent series on what does it mean that God chose to take on the stuff of creation in a body and then was raised in a body and that he has a body now in heaven. Like I can't think of a, a greater affirmation of the goodness of created things than the incarnation and, and the resurrected body. And, and that God has taken matter into his internal life his, uh, forever. Um, that's incredible. And we don't really talk about that. Yeah. Right. Um, but there are so many entry points into it. Um, so getting creative about helping your people expand their imagination about how creation participates in the sacramental moment with us. We can't have the sacraments without grapes and grain, without water. Um, the, the ways that creation participated in the incarnation. Um, 
all of these ways that we can help expand our people's imagination to, to deepen their affection and respect for creation. Scripture is full of that. Um, so those are just a couple of quick, quick ideas. Um, story and scripture um, are really powerful entry points for, for pastors to leverage, to, to help their people um, start to have these conversations. Yeah, my, my sense is once you begin to look at it in scripture, because of the stories that you're hearing, you probably don't read scripture the same way. You probably start to see yeah. it completely differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I feel like even in that, what, what I'm, what I'm noticing, I, um, I, sh before we got on, I shared a very brief story about, um, a friend of mine that I had a chance to get to know over the winter who, who studies the, the impact of, of environment, of, uh, yeah, the economy on environment and, you know, climate stuff in terms of with economies and how economies are really, you know, can be just terrible. Um, in how it treats the environment. And so it was interesting because one of the things that really sticks with me is just that, you know, that, that conversation of like, I, I used to, I grew up in a Christian home, but it just doesn't, it's like it, I, I just don't see followers of Jesus caring about the things that I feel like are so crucial to who, to who I am. Um, mm -hmm. And it just, it saddens me, because, but it also brings me hope and joy because it does make me think maybe as pastors, as we're hearing this, it's like, you can think of the younger people in your community that are not there. And I wonder how this may also even be just an invitation to mission um, mm -hmm. and, and how we may be able to engage a whole different generation. Are, are you noticing churches that engage this are reaching a younger generation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the generational split on this is so stark. Um, uh, when, when, when we do work, when we go into a church and, and we're talking to um, an older crowd or folks who are older in the audience, a lot of the pushback is around things like, well, how can we really know climate's changing? Or how can we know how much impact humans are having on it? And, and what if the proposed solutions are actually worse? What if the cure is worse than the disease itself? Um, with young people, the challenge is not convincing them that there's a problem. The, the challenge is convincing them that they have the agency to do something about it that matters and that can make a difference. And critically for our purposes, that the church cares. Because um, a lot of young people don't think it does. Uh, and so there, there's absolutely a, a massive generational split within the church on this. And I think you're right. I think uh, engaging on, on this topic, uh, is an invitation to mission. I also think it's an opportunity for faith formation. Um, I think a, a lot of young people are walking away from the church because they're, they're being given, uh, a gospel that feels small. Mm. It feels impoverished. It feels anemic to, uh, the challenges that the world is facing, right? We talk about the gospel as good news for the world. Um, but is the church doing things in the world that, that result in things that are good for the world and for people who are hurting the most, the, the people that Jesus himself said he came to center his ministry around in Luke 4, um, to give sight to the blind and um, freedom to the prisoner and uh, um, to declare the year of the Lord's favor, right? Jesus centers um, those who are pressed down to the margins of society. Um, is our gospel doing the same? Uh, and and I, I think um, engaging in things like climate change, creation care, um, as opportunities to engage in mission and and to engage in neighbor love, right? So like 
engaging in climate change not because um there's a political imperative to do so but but engaging in it because it's a way for us to tangibly love our neighbors who are suffering from heat waves and who can't grow food anymore to feed their families um and whose homes are being flooded every single year by thousand year floods that happen um regularly now right like this is this is a way for us to tangibly love our neighbors and to try to to live in the world uh such that it results in things that are good for uh people who are being harmed by pollution, by environmental degradation, and by climate change. Um, I think it's a, a profound opportunity um, to form the faith of our young people, to, to show them a, a more fully formed, a more robust gospel um, that, that also invites them into a more compelling mission, right? Um, a, a mission that feels like it's addressing the existential threats of their generation that feels like it's addressing the the threats to our neighbors in meaningful ways. Um, because if, if all the church is doing in the face of climate change is saying, keep warm and well-fed and walking away, well, James has a word for that kind of faith, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, and, and young people more and more, I, I think, are are recognizing this faith feels more dead than alive. Mm-hmm. And, and just like your friend, they're walking away from mm-hmm. it. So uh, I, I get that this can feel like a threat to a lot of pastors and it can feel scary, but there's so much upside, especially with our young people. If our young people understand that we get it and that uh, we are engaging in this as followers of Jesus, uh, as mission, uh, and we're forming our young people in that way, man, um, I think there could be a revival. Yeah, I really wow. do. Like, I don't use that word lightly, but I really do. And I appreciate that because what you're doing is, is you're not, I don't hear you saying, you know, oh, the, you know, the church only drives the most, you know, the biggest, gaudiest, gas guzzling as cars. And, you know, they're littering as they drive down the street. Like, I appreciate that, that there is this sense of, we just have a really great opportunity where a whole, you know, generations and just people in general, a like experience a love of Christ, because there is this willingness to have our faith shaped in a way that's bigger than ourselves, right? It's not just about me. It's not just about, you know, my little suburban yard with, you know, whatever that I have going on, but it's a much bigger story. And, and I think you've named a lot of that, right? Like it's very politicized, you know, pastors sometimes just feel like, man, how do I even, you know, where do I begin? Or I feel like this is such Mm -hmm. a huge topic. You know, if I set up a recycling bin, is that enough, you know, but And I think that's where I really want to just dive into some super practical stuff. Like where could a pastor or a church start? Yes. Um, Great question. I think uh, there are lots of easy on-ramps for people. Um, And and I think that as you set up some of those on-ramps, you you might be surprised at how many people jump on Mm -hmm. board. So um, some really simple on-ramps are things like Bible study or book study, right? 
um, just setting up um, a Bible study around like, hey, let's explore biblical themes around creation and see what we find. Um, Those are out there. There's actually one we we talked about, Young Evangelicals for Climate Action. There's a Bible study on their Mm -hmm. website in their resources section that I think is really, really uh, well suited to um, groups that are kind of just trying to explore just beginning to explore this theme in scripture. And what I love about it is that it moves from Genesis to Revelation and it goes through the incarnation through John. And I think what it does for people is in a really non-threatening way and in a very biblically rooted way, it exposes people to the fullness of this theme in scripture. I think a lot of us assume creation is just like tucked away in Genesis one and Mm -hmm. two, and that's it. And if you want to talk about creation, you got to go there and nowhere else. But there's so many Psalms, Job, Leviticus, when God is teaching God's people how to be God's people, it says this land is mine and you are tenants. Um, We talked about it, the incarnation, Colossians, where Paul says Christ is reconciling all things. Revelation 21, when when John sees a renewed heaven and a renewed earth, there's just so much there. Um, and and what I love about that study in particular is that it exposes people to to the fullness of that. And you go from Genesis all the way to Revelation. So that's I think that's a really easy, non-threatening way to start, especially uh, you have a lot of power to kind of shape that conversation, too, as as a pastor, whether you're leading it or not. But creating a space that feels safe, that feels non-judgmental. That doesn't feel like it has an agenda and just kind of let scripture speak for itself um, is really, really powerful for people. Um, and then, you know, there's a lot of really simple, practical steps that you can take that I think expose people again, expose people to this idea that um, there are ways of being as church that not only live more gently on the earth, um, but help us be more intentional about doing that in a more mindful way. So recycling, you said, is a great example. Um, My church recently put out like compost bins for for meals that we have at church and nobody knows how to use it yet. (laughs) Right. They're like, they're putting the wrong stuff in it all the time. But it's always an opportunity to to learn together. Right. right? Like, let's remember this kind of stuff goes in here. And here's why we're doing this. And here's why it's important. Even like moving away from styrofoam cups at coffee time to mugs reusable mugs um and if you if you do that um like my church has uh church mugs like branded mugs so like we're drinking out of it and it has our church on it it's like yeah this feels like church this feels like we're just being who we are um and i don't know about you but like i like drinking out of a mug like the weight in my hand it feels good um it's not that much harder to clean yeah some mugs after church um so really simple steps like that and and um you know you you can escalate up the ladder too until you get to things like doing an energy audit and figuring out how efficient your facility is and making some upgrades maybe as a way to um be better stewards of your energy use and by the way to save money money that you can put in your into your mission <laughs> into your budget of sending yeah. to your utility you just, exactly. everybody's right. ears is perked up we're like wait what <laughs> hey if you, you want to sell energy efficiency upgrades to your finance committee show them the numbers yeah, seriously. right you're gonna save you're gonna save money you're gonna send less money to your utility and you're gonna put more money into your mission budget um so you know and and um all kinds of steps in between but i think key to a lot of this is um 
it's so, so important to find the people in your community that are already interested yes. in this. Whether, whether you think so or not, the data shows that more often than not, there is at least someone and more likely some ones in your congregation right now who are already engaged or interested in this. Um, and as much as you can, pushing them forward and letting them lead, right? I think we all know that when the pastor leads something, it can kind of feel inherently political, right? There's all kinds of the baggage that comes along with the pastor leading an effort. Um, but empower, empower your own people to lead these things. Maybe you lead the Bible study because you're the pastor, but then after that, um, find the small group of people who want to set up a recycling, um, set up recycling bins or set up a compost bin or order mugs to swap out for the styrofoam cups or, or, you know, take those next steps in the community so that it feels like it's led by people's peers and and not always by the pastor, um, which over time might lead to resentment or pushback. But I have found in my work that when efforts are led by members of the congregation with the support of the pastor, clearly, um, they're, they're more successful than when it's just kind of pushed on the community by the pastor. Yeah, I, there's a lot of wisdom in that, Kyle, because I do, I sense you're right in the, in, in all of that, but even just in the simplicity of there's something that happens when someone feels something in their soul that's important and they say yes to God and they bring it before their mm. pastor and the pastor says, how can I help you see this through? Like, what, what do you need? Yeah. And, and even just that idea, I think there's a mindset shift from our pastors to be experts to our pastors to be equippers. And like, yeah. even just, you know, um, because of my experience at the mountain this past winter, uh, I just felt really, it was funny. I was just in my prayer and I've been reading through the old Testament. I was actually in Le Levitical law and looking at mm -hmm. how God just seems to call his people to be good tenants, good stewards of the land. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'm, I'm like riding up the ski lift and I'm like, Lord, what do I do? Like, how, how do I, how do I join with your spirit in the work of the kingdom in this just today? You know, like I've got some lessons mm -hmm. to teach and blah, blah, blah. And I'm riding up the lift and I just, there's so much trash and crap all over the lift line. And, and I, wow. Kyle, I've never had this happen before. Like my heart broke in that moment of just wow. like, Lord, uh, this is like, this place is, is, you know, like it's, it's a, it's your creation. So it's sacred. There's a sacredness mm -hmm. yeah. to, to what you have created. And so it was cool. A bunch of folks from my church and a, a few people from the mountain got together. Uh, we took a Sunday morning that was supposed to be a house church. We do house church and gatherings. We're sort of a unique structure. Um, and we, we spent a morning with trash bags, walking up the side of a hill, cleaning up the lift lines. And, That's and awesome. it's just like, I think in that moment, there were so many things happening within my heart, but the biggest thing was if nothing else, I sense like there is the sense of God, the way that I experience God caring for me is he cares for the small details of my life. Like when I'm sad, mm -hmm. he's so present. When I'm happy, he's present. When something feels mm -hmm. off, he's present. And it's like, I'm just flipping that to say, how do I care about the plate, like what God made in that same kind yeah. of way? And so mm. I'm just curious, even just from that, from that standpoint, like if you could even just say, hey, here's our, here are like the two or three things that we really see in terms of our faith as a deep connection with creation care, or how our, my faith grow, or how discipleship is deeply connected with creation care. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah, I, I think what, what you're touching on, too, I, I like that you said you took a Sunday that was typically your house church or, or maybe like a typical worship time. And then you did this. And I think in our minds, sometimes we think about um, doing something like that, like a trash pickup as like an action that has to happen outside of the worship hour. But what you just described to me, that sounded a whole lot like worship. Yeah. yeah. Um, especially especially like if you're picking it up and and you're you're telling each other the stories of scripture and, mm. and maybe you're singing songs as you do it mm. like man that feels like worship to mm. me um and and uh, i i think um why can't we be creative about the ways that we design worship so that once a month like we go out and we do a cleanup and um we recite scripture as we do it and we stop and we reflect throughout and and you you create this meditative moment um where where you're in God's creation, experiencing God through creation and worshiping God by taking care of creation, taking care of creation is an act of worship. Um, so, uh, uh, all that to say, that was just something I observed yeah. as you shared that, but yeah, you know, I, I like that you asked this and, and we talked about it a little bit before we started recording, but one of the things I wanted to do with the book was to frame creation care and climate action as discipleship. Yep. Um, to, to say like, this is not an add on to our faith. It's, it's not just for the people who gather on Thursday nights in the church basement and eat vegan pizza and, <laughs> and weave, uh, hemp friendship bracelets, right? Like, <laughs> this is for all of us. Um, and, and it's for all of us because this is who we are, right? Going all the way back to the garden, um, God creates humans and in Genesis one and two, gives them the same command in, in different forms. Rule over this by serving and protecting it. Serve and protect this thing that I've made and, and rule alongside of me as creation's true king. So when we do this, I think this is an invitation to be more human, like to, to, to get closer to, to what God intended when he created his image bearers in the midst of creation and said, take care of this and help the rest of creation worship me too. Um, so, so when we do this, it, it's not only an, not only an act of worship, it's an act of kind of rehumanizing ourselves in a society that dehumanizes at every mm. turn. Right. And it's an opportunity for us again, to, to get closer to Jesus in, in, in our pursuit of following after him, because, um, Jesus, I've already said, told us that everything he taught the whole law, all the prophets could be boiled down to loving God with everything you've got and loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, and, and again, like when we look out at what climate change is doing both to God's creation and to our neighbor's well-being, um, it's clear that taking steps in the name of Jesus to uh, address climate impacts in our local community, to plant rain gardens, to, to manage stormwater better, and to, to maybe prevent homes from, from flooding as often as they do next door to our church, all kinds of things that we can do. All of those actions are opportunities for us to get better at obeying those commands from Jesus, opportunities for us to get better at loving God and loving our neighbor um, in the world that we find ourselves in, in the midst of a, a warming world. So again, like I, I don't know how to be a disciple in the 21st century in the world that we're in right now i don't know how to do it without taking climate change into account and and doing what i can to to mitigate 
its impacts on God's creation and on my neighbor. Um, so yeah, I, I think like if, if pastors could take one thing away from this, I would want it to be um, that bringing this into your congregation or helping your people bring this into your congregation, right? Um, but engaging in this uh, doesn't have to feel like a political agenda that you're laying on top of the gospel. I hope that it feels like you all, your community, living more deeply into that gospel's call. Um, and and I know that there's a whole lot of forces out there that that try to make us think about climate change as a political agenda that's laid on top of everything else. But um, as I read the gospel and as I understand Jesus, um, I think that when the church gets involved in climate change and climate action, um, we are living more deeply into the gospel and we are getting better at following Jesus. Mm. Kyle, thank you. Well, first of all, thank you for just that last statement. I feel like there is something about the evil ones sort of stealing this just natural connection of loving God and loving yeah. our neighbors in ways that are practical. Yeah. It it's yeah. It's just so refreshing to hear just the work of your hands and, and the, you know, the work of your, your vegetarian brother coming home and completely, <laughs> and I'm hoping there are some like demonstrations in the book. I didn't check the appendix, like with like how to do friendship bracelets and what best vegan pizza to <laughs> make in yeah, the basement. Right. Um, but yeah, I, man, just thank you for your heart. I really appreciate it. And how can, how can pastors connect with you? Like what would be some helpful ways if they're just like, Hey man, this guy's great. I mean, obviously buy your book. Um, I think I, I can, IVP will probably, I know it's on the IVP website. We could probably work something out to get a little yep. bit of a discount or something. Um, but what are some other ways that they can connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So my organization that I work for is called the Evangelical Environmental Network. Okay. Um, you can find us at creationcare.org. Nice, simple URL. Um, you can find my email, uh, on the staff page as well as learn all about, you know, ways that we come alongside churches. Um, to, to help you all figure out how to integrate this into your ministry in ways that are authentic. Yeah. Um, that's, that's our heart and that's, that's what I love to do. So if any of this conversation sparked that in you and you want to explore next steps, definitely go to creationcare.org. Nice. You can email me at kyle at creationcare.org. Um, so any of those, I have a website, kylemeyerdscop.com that you could, you know, contact me through too, or, or find my other writings. Cool. Um, and resources there you too. also mentioned a resource um with the young evangelical yeah what was that one again yep. young evangelicals for climate action so that was their bible study um it's called all things new and uh if you go to yecaction.org that's their website you can also google young evangelicals for climate cool. action um that's in their resources section so you'll find it there under bible Great. study i'll make sure we include all of that in the show notes but could you leave us with the benediction oh man yes i would love to um could i do it in hebrew absolutely please yeah <laughs> when i was in seminary our hebrew program was was taught um orally so we we kind of learned to speak it mm. Um, and I just fell in love with it. And so, so this is the ironic blessing from Numbers um, in Hebrew. Yevarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha Ya'er Adonai panavelecha v'yhunecha Yisa Adonai panavelecha v'yasemlecha shalom The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and lay before you his peace. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Kyle.